You've reached Intricity 101. All right, welcome everybody, and thanks for joining us for Data Sharks. We have uh, a real treat for you today, uh, and we wanted to welcome the CEO of Alation, Satyam Sangani. Uh, so, again, thanks Satyam for joining us. We're we're excited to uh, to connect with you. Excited to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Um, we also have Arcadie and Rich. They're, they're our regular guests on the uh, uh, the Data Sharks. There's part of our Data Shark uh, school of fish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, Satya and I always like to ask our guests, um, you know, what does the world look like without your solution? You know, what is what does a client's ecosystem look like when they don't have elation? You know, so, I, and I always like to hear that just because usually you get into some of the problems, and and we have such a wide audience in this you know ecosystem of folks that we present to. It's everything from college students all the way up to solution architects and, and even CEOs of companies will will chime in because because of the legacy of our videos that we've had on our YouTube channel. Um, and so, you know, if you can kind of bring that to the real world and, and help people understand what the what the problem uh, is and what what that world looks like without elation uh, in an organization. Yeah. So the average organization grows up with a whole bunch of systems that they use in order to help departments do their jobs. So if you're in finance, you might have a general ledger. If you're in HR, you might have an HR management system that helps you track employees and track their salaries and when they get paid. Um, if you're in the marketing team, you might have a website that's built on WordPress. If you're in operations and you need to manage servers, you might have information from your application monitoring systems. And you know, if you're in a manufacturing company, you might have sensor data that helps you figure out how to run the line and figure out how to manufacture the products that you're building faster. And of course, there's the ERPs. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about all this stuff that grows up inside of these companies, every single one of them produces data. Every mm -hmm. single one of them records what's happening in the world. Every single one of them records a little aspect of reality, right? Not mm -hmm. all of reality, but it tells you who you paid. It doesn't tell you what business they might happen to be in, that system that does the GL, but it tells you a little bit about who you paid, when you paid them, which transaction you're paying them for. Maybe it connects the invoice for the transaction, but there's a lot that it probably doesn't tell you about that counterparty. Mm -hmm. And so you think about this and in most companies and as companies as they scale, they get more and more and more complicated with more and more and more systems. Mm -hmm. And so at some level of scale, if you think about Pfizer, who's a customer of ours or Salesforce, you know, tens of thousands of databases, right. tens of thousands of data sets, and all with different technologies. Some built 20 years ago, back when Salesforce was founded, some built, you know, five years ago, some built just yesterday. Mm -hmm. And with all of those systems come all of this data. And so you have then this problem, which is that you've got all this data everywhere, tracking all this information about the world that tells you something about your business and about the people that you're doing business with or could do business with. Mm -hmm. um, but none of it's connected. So now if I'm in purchasing and I have a question about who we last sold to and which mm -hmm. industries they're in, not really an easy answer to go get. Mm -hmm. And if I want to know how to comply with regulations like GDPR, and I need to know how to delete every record about Jared that happens to be stored in every single one of my databases, right? Because Jared's a customer of mine, I can't find it. 
And so, so that's and kind of the state state. Yeah. And, and I yeah. think that unfortunately that actually describes, you know, lots of companies today because they don't have something like Galatian. Right. And then the amount, the amount of data centralization that's happening now, because the scalability is actually available now, uh, we're seeing a lot more of that, um, you know, more and more centralization. And then they're going to like, man, it's such a needle in the haystack to understand what, what is available and, and knowing what, what could be used and how it could be used, how other people are using it and those kinds of things. Yeah. And it's funny because I think the centralization point is actually a really interesting one. Companies have historically tried to solve this problem by centralizing it. And so of course, mm -hmm. most of your users would be familiar with this idea of a data, a data warehouse or a data lake. And they would say, well, if we centralize all the data, then the world's a better place. Like we all the data is in one place. Like we understand mm -hmm. what it is. We have a single source of truth. Of course, there's two problems with that. First, you're never necessarily going to physically centralize all of your data. Like that's mm -hmm. actually a really hard thing to go do. Mm -hmm. But the bigger problem is that often even by centralizing it, you still don't necessarily know what that data means or what it represents. Like you yep. could have all of these data tables, like in one customer's case, we had a data warehouse. In this case, it was Teradata back early when we were founded. 800,000 tables in one database instance, 4,000 <laughs> tables on just customer transactions. Which one do wow. I use? Yeah, Which yeah. Which one's correct? Right, right. Yeah, so so um, tell us a little bit about how, the, tell us about, about that start. I mean, where you got started, go rewind the clock. You know, were you in a garage somewhere with, you know, some other folks? Like, how did that all happen? What was the what was the impetus that kind of got you moving in this direction? Yeah, we, we were in a literal garage at one point, but I'll get <laughs> to that. Um, uh, yeah, in fact, my, we, we all of us wanted to meet at each other's or our, our own homes because, you know, nobody wanted to travel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my 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 co-founder, Venki, had a garage, except it, it was so cold. That you know, we had to turn on the electric heaters, but it was short his house. Anyways, it was that, that didn't work out very well. So we did it at my house a lot of the time. Um, but I digress. The um, the start came from so I was at Oracle, a yeah. builder of said data warehouses, or at least the technology that would support them. Right. And saw so many customers try to centralize their data, to try to rationalize their data, to try to make sense of their data, and it was really hard every single time. And mm -hmm. every single time these customers would say, oh, and, and I was in selling banking analytical products. And sure. so they would say, well, we've got these core banking systems that have checking data and card transaction data. And we've got these other systems that do mortgage data. And you know, how do we rationalize them? Because we know that there's a customer that's got a checking account with us and a mortgage account with us, but those, those two mm -hmm. things don't talk to each other and we don't know the risk rating with them. And so how do we merge all that stuff together? And that was hard. Right. And in some cases took two or five years to put together. Yeah, absolutely. And and so was that kind of like the, did you approach your your partner that you were going to business with? Like, hey, we need to go go fix this specific problem. And, and it, I mean, that got you to leave Oracle? Like, or, or did you kind of start kind of cruising down that road um, while you were still doing work at Oracle? Yeah, I had the idea. I mean, I had a notion of the idea, or at least a notion of the problem when I was at Oracle. I mm -hmm. left in July of 2012. And at that stage, didn't really have a co-founder or anybody that would be interested in the idea. So I actually ended up meeting with, I don't know, like 50 or 60 people 
Mm -hmm. I think it was actually up to 70 people who basically um, I pitched the idea to. And Interesting. I would say 99% of those people, well, I guess, less a little bit, 97% of those people uh-huh. thought the idea was stupid um, or didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, well, that, it's the latter. Most people do not understand this problem. They, they, they don't get it. It's like, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, and especially in, because, in, in, in you know, 2012, you've got data governance, yeah. you've got other conversations that are taking place, and people are trying to solve this problem in lots of different ways. Yeah, and so to have play. a voice, to have a solution, in some ways may have been unbelievable to people. And the other side of it is they may not have understood necessarily the breadth of the problem because it's prevalent. It's it's whether you're a large enterprise, medium-sized enterprise, this is a problem that you, you that you described that that exists everywhere. It, it if you are if you have data, and I don't know of any organization that does not, you have a challenge of how do you put sense around this data especially as it continues to grow and evolve let alone acquisitions and mergers and those kinds of things as well certainly yeah and and what was funny of course was that i was talking to engineers and you know engineers who i'm trying to pitch on you know especially the great ones are like what are you talking about like i built (laughs) like i built the database i i built the code to build the database like who doesn't understand i know what's in the database why doesn't everybody else know i get it okay and yeah, yeah, so yeah. they just couldn't appreciate that there would be some third party two years from when they actually built the code that mm. might care about using the data they produced, but in a totally different way with a totally different set of intentions and questions. Yeah. And so that was also hard to explain to people because people just couldn't appreciate that the database, like the database should just tell you what's in there. So how did that not discourage you? <laughs> I mean, I think when you leave your job and you've got two kids and uh, a mortgage, (laughs) yes, like, you know, you're like, I've got 18 months. I'm pretty much either going to figure this out or I'm going to just go home and get a job. And so I think you just keep on trying. And, and by the way, I mean, so much of entrepreneurship is just like making your own luck, which is to put yourself in a position to learn enough that you, you know, it's not that you've met 70, people and they're all exactly the same message. It's mm-hmm. you've told first person a story, then the next person, the next person, the next person, you iterate the story and the message until yeah. you get to something that works. Yeah. And and what was that breakthrough moment where it was like, okay, I mean, was there was there was there someone you spoke with where it was like, yes, I understand this problem and we should go after it. Yeah, it came in bits, but there was this one moment where we were talking to set so i brought the way i found my co-founder was through linkedin i ended up sending him a in-mail message and we did a meeting and he had written some books on data quality and then he brought in my third co-founder and then my fourth co-founder i met through another friend of a friend so mm-hmm. ultimately sort of got it together right and one moment and they were all kind of in a similar mindset they were like I, we think this is a problem we're not 100 percent sure yeah but i got them all together and we talked to a person who was at facebook and who said, well, look, Facebook had built this system, right? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the thing that we wanted to um, build. And so, you know, we were like, oh, if they built it and they're at scale and they're Facebook, well, we need something that's like this, but way better. Yeah, yeah. And and so I think that was a big breakthrough moment. And then there were a couple of other breakthrough moments of innovation. I mean, one of my, we have this query tool. So if you mm-hmm. write SQL queries, 
um, you know, for those of you, you know, in the audience that may not know how, how a SQL query is written, you're basically telling the database what you want from it. It's like going to a yeah. restaurant and ordering off the menu and you're like, I want fries, but I want fries with some ketchup and some Tabasco sauce. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so you're doing the same thing with the database, but often it's like going to a restaurant without a menu. Right. And so, cause you don't know when you get to a database with 800,000 tables, you have no idea what's inside of it. Right. And so my co-founder Aaron was like, well, that's kind of a search problem. What if we started suggesting to people what they should type as we auto-complete their sentences and in SQL. Like that was a huge innovation. And yeah. we said, oh, we can give you previews of what the search would look like. Right. 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 And so Aaron came up with that idea that writing a SQL query was a lot like search. Yep. And we could do sort of Google for search. And that was a huge innovative moment. And all of us looked at each other and said, oh my oh, God. That's it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So you go through, did you go straight into development at that point? It was like, okay, now we kind of have a direction. We're going to start developing this or was it sort of bits, bits and pieces, everybody kind of uh, working on it? Probably more the latter. I mean, okay. I think we, we, we were, we were constantly, so one of my co-founders who has, you know, since founded actually now his, he's now on his second company, yeah. um, is this just incredible engineer and his, his yeah. name is Fang. And, he just, we would have ideas and he would literally <laughs> turn them around and they would be existing code overnight. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, you know, like, so you'd show up one day and you'd be like, oh, well, and you know, I'm this like kind of dumb business guy. So all I could do is like fixate on like customer meetings, which, you know, obviously is helpful at the very yeah, least, yeah. but you're not building code. Right. So all I can do is set up meetings and then come up with ideas and hope that somebody else can build them. Yep. Um, yep. And so, you know, while I was arguing with Aaron about like whether or not the pixels on our like single page website that didn't have a single word on it yeah, yeah. Um, were, were too big, Feng was sitting there coding and he would end up just iterating and iterating and iterating until we got to something. So it was a little bit of both, like you yep. build, but you learn. Right. And, and so when you got to that point where you were like demoing this to clients, um, were there moments where you kind of felt like, you know, you kind of knew you had something special in, in presenting this where, can you share any of that or like, or any, any past events where you were starting to, sh starting to bring this into the world and, you know, yeah. were, the, the zero you get to some one good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. The zero to one, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Our, um, so again, like all I could do at the early stages was like try to convince people that there was an idea. And so there was this one data scientist, that I went to, um, his name was Jesse. I saw him at an event, he was on a panel and I caught, like he got off the stage and I just like immediately accosted him. And I was like, hey, <laughs> like, what, what do you think about metadata? And he's like, dude, you're like super weird. But, um, but then, you know, he's like, yeah, I think that's a problem. And, you know, gave me his email address, but wouldn't respond to my emails. And then I sent him an email maybe three months later after we had yeah. sort of a prototype. and. And then said, hey, about writing faster SQL queries. And he's like, that's a problem. So he met with yeah. me uh, then a week later. And we showed him a prototype. Actually, just we showed him a slide. So he's like, come back next week. I'll bring some people and you know, we'll just see what it looks like. We got there. We showed a demo. There were 40 people in the room. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And we're that's like- That's when you know you have something special. And, and so they left and they're like, if this works, and, and I remember, you know, I remember there was this, you know, mid-level engineer there. And he said, look, if this thing does what it says it's going to do, um, 
where we're all in. That's so and cool. they were our first customer, ended up paying us, um, you know, almost a million dollars a year. Oh, that's awesome. That is excellent. What a cool story. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so, you know, you start with that, that customer and then you're moving, moving through, um, have there been some inflection points in the organization during that growth? So you've, you've come to this point where you're at now, what have been some of the big turning points, you know, as you've, you've grown to where you are today? There've been, I mean, it's been a 10 year journey at this point or almost yeah. a 10 year journey at this point. And so I, I almost feel like, um, just when you get, I think the thing about building a company to this scale is just when you get comfortable, mm -hmm. um, you're totally um, in for something new. Like you, you're just like, it's never, cause there's always, you know, I used to joke with my wife or not even joke with my wife. I always tell her, oh, you know, look, after we get past this milestone, yeah, it's going to yeah. be so much better. And <laughs> she now looks at, you know, she's like, she, I like it. The words are about to come out of my mouth. And she's like, yeah, don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and I think it's because in technology, it's so competitive that somebody's yeah. always trying to eat your lunch or you're always trying to eat somebody else's lunch and right, there's right. always some new innovation. And so I think there has been moments where we've entered new markets. Like we were in data governance two and a half years ago, yep. really as a company. And now we're, you know, probably the leader in the market. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there are moments where you decide to enter new markets where you have to focus on quality, where you have to get a customer just right. And all of those are kind of inflection points with the team that you're building and mm -hmm. you kind of build that muscle memory over yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, just me thinking back when I got first introduced to Elation, one of the things that really caught my attention was the amount of automation, you know, uh, you know, because frankly, everything up to that point that I had ever seen around, um, and, and this is the world of cataloging in those early years, um, you know, everything I had seen in a catalog was completely manual. Like the entire, everything was manual. The whole, like you, you connect it up and here's a blank screen. And if you want to write something about this data, then you can, but there was nothing to like meet you halfway. It was just like, here's a blank canvas. Right. And, and, um, and a good friend of mine introduced me to Elation and they said, well, here's all the queries that everybody's running. Uh, and, and these are the most important queries to people. Uh, or at least the ones that get the most attention. And, and I thought, you know, that is different in, in terms of meeting them halfway, meeting them with um, queries that are that we know people are using. Um, and, and so it seems like the automation, uh, the need to automate these steps instead of having everything be manual has been sort of the central core of what I think of elation when, when it comes to, uh, to building that. I mean, have you found that, that there are pieces you just can't automate that you just gotta, you gotta have you know people cut into? Yes, for sure. I mean, I, you couldn't build, you know, the systems, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, right? The systems capture, you know, all of these systems, all of these computer programs, all of these, like, you know, this business software that we're all a part of yeah. you know, the industry with, they all are models of a very small portion of the world. Mm -hmm. And of course there are humans that use them and the humans and the people are the people that understand like why they were configured the way they are, what the right. actual context was behind it. And so you can't build a real system that understands a company's data without engaging the people 
that actually build and use the data every mm -hmm. single day. You know, those yep. stewards, right, is what we call right. them. But those people actually have real jobs. Like those are finance, you know, managers or- Yeah, what they're doing is extra. Clerks. Right. And so they just need to know, they know the process. Now, I think, so there is a lot of context that people will have. You can, but I agree with you, automation is everything. And it's funny to me because, you know, there's now a new crop of companies that are coming up and calling themselves, you know, like uh, more innovative catalogs, right? And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, we invented the data catalog in 19, in 2000 and, you know, 19 when we were founded. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, great. But, <laughs> but, but like what, what I find interesting about some of these companies, which is, you know, you like, for example, one of them is like, look, we do popularity too. And yeah. so the way we do popularity is we go grab the SQL queries out of the database log for every database that we connect to and for every yeah. BI tool that we connect to. And we parse those queries to understand every time when Jared has issued a query, when Rich has issued a query, when Arcadia has issued a query, we will count those and we will say, this thing is the most popular because we know exactly who and when has been done. And mm -hmm. we do that automatically through the database. So automation to your point. There are still companies that come out that say, hey, look, we've got popularity, but you've got to set a field in the back end of a database with a human being to tell us how popular you are. Well, who's <laughs> going to do that and how are they going to do it? Yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, so and this idea of like automating it is everything and nobody's going to do the work unless you make it easy for them. Yeah, I ended up writing a white paper. This is back when I was first introduced to Alation. Um, um, and, and I spoke to really the what I call the data governance spectrum, which was authoritarianism on one side and um, uh, anarchy on the other, right? So like, and, and what the whole point of the white paper was that, you know, that you can have, you know, e either one, but, um, but what we're seeing is, and especially at this time, I think especially in the early years of Alation, um, it was so common for organizations to build a data lake that had just, like no meeting the users halfway at all. Like it was just like, we're going to dump everything in this thing and zero context. And, and you know, it was a, and I remember when uh, Tab, Tableau, it was a Tableau world where they announced, Hey, we're going to have Alation, uh, you know, strategic partnership with Alation. And I think it was like a, the ability to read into the Tableau metadata, if I remember correctly. Um, I remember thinking that is going to take those environments and totally change the way people access data in those environments. Because, you know, in, in a lot of those companies that behave that way, where they just toss it all into this big black hole, um, they it's almost like a it's almost like a fondue restaurant. You know, like, hey, I'm just yeah. going to have to go yeah. discover it's my data, own stuff. <laughs> data democracy. And we know yeah. how democracy can 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 spread. And so again, it's it's the opportunity to give people who are business people, not technical people, who yeah. may not know exactly how to write a SQL query, and right. and so all of these yeah. things become critically important because there is no lack of content. Many of our clients, when we get in, they, they may have fifteen thousand reports, and none of them that are really usable or are heavily used. And so this this body of reporting is there. Lots of data is there. And the chasm is still getting bigger and bigger. Satyan, tell, tell us a little bit about how you took this sort of this automation ethos. Uh, what are you doing in the governance space where we're kind of sort of past just the, the uh, catalog? Like what, what's happening in the governance space that, that, that you're seeing? Yeah. And, you know, maybe before I get to yeah. exactly that point, I'll just talk about kind of how I 
you know, what my, my stylized history of what I think governance looks like. So, you know, if you think of Andrew White, who's a famous, you know, or like whatever, famous in the data world, uh, analyst mm -hmm. from Gartner, wrote this like paper and he's like, look, data governance kind of just boils down to like eight policy types, right? And so you, what, what is, what are, what is, you know, these, what are these policy types? Well, there's privacy and data retention and mm -hmm. security, and you just got to make sure that, and, you know, and there's a whole bunch of others and, you know, whether it's eight or 10 or whatever it is, you've got mm -hmm. these things called policies. And let's say you've got a data retention policy. Well, you've got the data retention policy says you've got to delete data, you know, that's of this domain or type every seven years. Like you got to keep it for seven years, but every seven years you got to delete it, right? That's mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of what a policy looks like. Now, in the old world, or I think in the, you know, I'll call it Gen 2, Gen 1 of data governance, you would end up having to declare these policies and write them down on a piece of paper. And then you would basically have a whole bunch of people attest using a workflow that they've met the policy. Wouldn't be connected yeah. to a system, right. wouldn't be connected to a database, wouldn't actually even validate that the data had been deleted. Mm -hmm, it was just mm -hmm. a human being making an attestation, right? And, you know, that seems kind of crazy, right? Like, you know, if you own a database, whether the database is seven years old and whether or not it's been deleted or not. Right. Like that, the system knows that, right? The system knows if you've tagged the data as being private or privacy related, like, you know, somebody's first name and last name, mm -hmm. that that's information that needs to be redacted. And so why is it that we're doing all of this stuff so manually? Mm -hmm. Why are we sitting there and taking these policies and having some people say, oh, I have one of these. Oh, and by the way, I've got 100,000 databases with a billion different elements of data, and I'm going to do this manually? Like, it doesn't even work. Yeah. Well, and, and, so and, and people feel like they have to add it. You know, they, it's like they're, like you said, this is a finance person. They're doing their finance work, and we're asking them to add on all of this responsibility. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, I mean, yeah, of course, there are data governance specialists that you like hire for those things, but those people usually don't know what the data means anyway. Um, so, so yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. And so I think the automation theme, the same technology of cataloging the data is super relevant to being able to then take all of that policy work and automating it. And so mm -hmm. we just put about a big announcement with Snowflake around doing that for data access, but that is absolutely the way the field of data governance has to go. And I think we're going to make literally order of magnitudes change and how effective these programs can be just mm -hmm. by automating most of the work. Yeah. And, and do you strategically, do you kind of align with, you know, the different data sources to, to try and kind of build, build that? Is that how you, cause yes. it, you know, like Snowflake. And then I saw, I remember the Tableau thing. Do you kind of go, you know, vendor by vendor to kind of make sure that you have those uh, strategic relationships in place? Yeah. I mean, by virtue of what we do, we've got to connect to everything. Mm -hmm. So we've got to connect to you know, Oracle and even things that are now, you know, getting retired, like, you know, Teza and Vertica and like, you know, so it doesn't really matter. We've got to connect to all of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is definitely the case that the more modern vendors, the Snowflakes and the Tableaus yeah. are at the forefront of the market. And so what you, what they're doing sets the tone for many yeah. other vendors. And so by working with a lot of those guys as first amongst equals, you mm -hmm. can really set the tone for the innovation that the market needs to see. Satin, and again, it goes back to metadata. That that anecdote of um, you know catching uh, an individual off off stage. You've got 
Tableau capturing a ton of metadata around the things that people are looking for. And then if you look at Snowflake, Snowflake is making, again, major changes in capturing more and more metadata, queries, but also security and some of the other things that, that, that are in place. And so you've got a really rich repository of that metadata for relation to automate, to mine, and to visualize and present to those who are interested, not just in governance, but also in understanding what they have and how to manage it and, and how to secure it and also how to expand it, how to expand it beyond sort of the traditional scope of now I have the data in one place. What, what do I do with it? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was um, just reading a few articles um, and I saw the, the bark data governance survey um, that they, that they ranked uh, elation. I think it was like number one on the, the, uh, the survey group and was. I would love <laughs> to hear, I would love to hear about that from you. Like in, ter in terms of, you know, um, it's not like, you know, I, it's, it's elation came into the data governance space pretty quickly. Um, and I mean, you've been doing catalogs for a long time, but to all of a sudden like be number one in, in data governance, I'd love to have you speak to that. Like what, what are some of the things that, that really, um, have taken you there? Yeah, you know, there's that great phrase, like it takes 10 years to build an overnight success. Um, <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, that that in some ways is true for us. I, I, so we have this message um, that we've been talking about, which is that the catalog is the platform for yeah. data intelligence. Okay, so that sounds like, you know, enterprise software gobbledygook, if you don't mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. what all of those things mean, but broadly. There's this category of software that we think is called data intelligence. And we think it includes all of the things that you need to do to build trust and findability and understanding of your data. And you mm -hmm. need it to do things like business intelligence or artificial intelligence, right? Because mm -hmm. those are things that rely upon good data. You can't have good BI unless you've got good data. You certainly can't have good AI unless you've got good data. And so this idea of data intelligence wraps a whole bunch of things that we traditionally know that have been disconnected, MDM, um, you know, certainly things like um, metadata management, which we're obviously in, data mm -hmm. governance is another great example, data quality is another great example, privacy is another great example. So you've got all these apps and historically they've just been like these one-off disconnected apps. Mm -hmm. And we basically came along and said, well, the first thing that we wanna do, and you know, back to the days of founding, is build this data catalog. Because the first thing you have, the first problem you have is I don't even know what data I've got, right. and what it means. Mm -hmm. And so if you have this catalog, right, this idea of the catalog being the platform is, well, if you know all the data, then you can start automating stuff on top of it, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You can start automating understanding of the data for the purposes of building a data policy. You can start automating understanding of how people are using the, the data to you know, do better MDM because you know what people are actually using and touching. Now we mm -hmm. don't do all those things and I don't necessarily know that we will do all of those different elements. I mean, every platform needs an ecosystem and we've got great yeah. quality partners and great partners in privacy. But the point that I'm making is that by having that data knowledge, you can do so much more and so much more efficiently mm -hmm. understand your data. Um, and that's why we were able to bake huge strides in governance, because yeah. what we were able to do is take that data understanding layer and build on the classic artifacts of governance, policies, workflows, glossaries, and mm -hmm do that in such an efficient way where all of it was interrelated day one, 
-hmm. And that allowed us to leapfrog most of what existed out there because all of that stuff then got automatically populated versus mm -hmm. having a cold start. Right. right. And that Good and point. that's you know, building those artifacts day one is just the big lift. And lots of times people say, Yeah, it's gonna take you three years. And like, who has three years to do any of this? <laughs> well, I remember th this is years ago. This is uh, uh probably almost ten years ago, but I remember we were we were uh working on a master data management uh solution. I believe we were using Informatica for it. And I remember um, the solution architect that we had on the engagement, he said, he said, Jared, this entire engagement, you think it's about managing data. It's all about what kind of metadata I can produce. He's like, he's like, all of this is ran off of metadata. The entire MDM suite is ran off of, you know, agreed naming conventions. Uh, it's all represented as metadata. Um, and, you know, and so, that that rings true to what you're saying in terms of if I'm going to go do you know one of these data governance projects, I need to I need to have a mechanism that's collecting that metadata effectively, and and has the capacity to reach the audience of business users, um, in in a, in a way that meets them halfway, right? Uh, but that gives them the capacity from that point. Um, to be able to participate in defining what that data represents, um, almost like a Yelp-like experience for de defining what the data is and how, how it gets used. Um, so that now that you've explained it that way, it makes a lot more you know yeah. it, it makes a lot more sense how that uh, um, you know that the criticality of that role. It's almost like a foundationary event before you start any of the other data governance activities that you're about to have yeah. about to take take on yeah you've got to crawl, crawl the metadata to be able to to understand what it is that you can you can govern and what other things you can do with it but but even plug that metadata into users right i mean i think yep. one of the challenges that most platforms have had is that the users really don't have much of an incentive to participate in it you know it's just kind of like i said the blank canvas approach it's like you're not going to find a finance person that is going to be willing to spend all this time, you know, ranking and describing data if we're just meeting them with a blank canvas. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you look at Alation and, and, and you talked a little bit about some of the startups uh, or spinoffs that are coming in, maybe from Lyft or maybe from WeWork, there, there is this sweet spot where they may have just a specific thing to be able to catalog. And there are some open initiatives going on, open source initiatives going on, obviously, that, that are underpinning that. But it's a big stretch to get to where Alation is today because simple example of the SQL uh, and parsing the SQL and being able to sort of predict what verbs to use and what adjectives to use in your SQL statements, that little nugget there you know, it's it's fine if you've got the API to be able to crawl all of these engines and collect all of this metadata. There, there's a whole user experience, exactly what Jared is alluding to, that has to be there as well. But do you find that customers are sometimes distracted and you're competing in, in those environments and trying to differentiate from a sort of a, here is a, a, a spin-off and something new versus what Alation has been able to create? Um, for sure. No question. I, I think there, it, it happens in a couple of different formats. So one form is, well, I'm not really sure that I'm ready to go spend, you know, what you Alation charge. Cause you know, we, we certainly know that we're the best, but we don't try to claim to be the cheapest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
that's that's one that's one circumstance. And another circumstance is people on the other side say, well, I want to take on every one of these things today. So they issue an RFP and they're like, do you, do you have, you know, we want to do MDM and data quality and data cataloging and data governance and search and privacy. And we want yeah. it all. And we want it all right now. And they're like, and we're going to implement it all in the next like six months. <laughs> And you're like, you no, might you're not. not <laughs> one of these things in the next year, and you're probably going to fail with all of them because you don't even know what you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. And, and, <laughs> and I think often, right, this kind of like functional approach or this narrow approach belies a misunderstanding of the problem, which yeah. I think gets back to yeah. what, Jared, you were talking about, which is people often view this as a functional problem. I'm going to yeah. go build a data glossary and then I'm going to go build some MDM and then I'm going to go yeah. do some search and cataloging and but this isn't a functional problem it's a human problem yes it's i need to get the finance group to manage their data better mm -hmm. and they've got to have a consistent chart of accounts and they've got to have all of their systems connected and they've yep. got to have all of their processes documented and they've got to have a clear glossary and we've kind of got to do all those things at the same time and the most important thing is that the payables clerk uses the system mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and People don't realize that really what this is is a human knowledge sharing problem, not a bit, you know, it's almost like the blind man and that parable of the blind man and the elephant. Yeah. Everybody thinks that they see something different because they're feeling different parts of the body. And yeah. people often approach data management that way. And I think that's where most people fail. Totally. Yeah. I, th I think that a lot of times when, when people enter these, these kinds of projects, they see it as a tool. Like, oh, this, this MDM tool. And of course the demos are ridiculous in my opinion of these MDM tools. They do not speak at all to what the effort is involved in agreeing on what you're about to. So, so the demo has all of this presumption that, that everybody agrees on what a, uh, the, what a customer is. Um, and, and here it is here. We're going to, to merge this customer. Well, it's not how it looks on the on uh, uh, in implementation. When you get to implementation, there's zero agreement on what a customer is, and and they don't even know how uh, the variety of people that are using those data elements per, uh, perceive customer to begin with, and and then and then when you start asking, and the and the, the problem here is that you start asking them, okay, we're going to automate this process. We're going to have a machine do this process. Well, and we have none of this metadata to drive the machine. We have to just sort of derive it from, you know, endless interviews that end up in political battles, you know, so. Yeah, that's a three month project in most places, just getting oh, yeah. people to agree on what is a customer or, or that's what right. is, you know. <clears throat> and the fallacy of course is that the idea of a master definition mm -hmm. presumes that you can actually do that do like that, that there's a singular truth and yeah. that finance legitimately doesn't have a view that's different from legal mm -hmm. that's different from sales you know sales might have to call on seven different business units mm -hmm. legal might have a single contract covering every single one of those legal entities finance might have three different payers that they've got to issue with different credit ratings those are all valid views of yeah. the world yep even based, if you're talking about the same party yeah, based on perspective. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think about what we've learned, so we get pulled into a lot of uh, strategy engagements. What should our digital transformation strategy be? What should our data strategy 
be? What should our data governance strategy be? And I look at sort of, you know, Intricity is around for 15 years, but when we bring in the experience to the table, we've got 100 or 150 years of experience between the team that's, <laughs> that's performing that strategy. And what we're finding is getting people to understand that a lot of it is about the process and a lot of it is about the point of view. Because you are not, the goal is not to simply get a single record. The goal is to understand how it's used across the various processes that the organization has. And ultimately, as part of digital transformation, it's about process reengineering. It's about changing the way, changing behaviors. And, and we, we carry the simplification of the process as a big, a big step. We, we've done a lot of these. And, and again, Jared remembers the early conversations around SiteBock and, and sort of how do we take yeah, a process yeah. and break it down into smaller chunks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, one thing I'll add to that maybe um, is that it, I think it's also about culture and mm -hmm. specifically, Absolutely. specifically a culture of data. You can implement a whole bunch of new and different and, you know, technologies that basically will allow you to process faster and will allow you to do new and different things. But all of these digital transformation projects ultimately have to transform how people interact with the technology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if people aren't sort of curious and thoughtful at the point of usage, then you're never going to take advantage of the power of that technology. Case in point, I was at a, a furniture store and very large chain. And I basically went to the person and they, I was trying to buy a sofa and, you know, ours just totally conked out because my 10 year old destroyed the <laughs> you have a 10 year old. No, yeah, we, yeah, we exactly. have 10 year old. Yeah, yeah, you have a 10 year old. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, sofa's dead. You don't need to go buy a new sofa. And of course, everybody's having supply chain issues. And yeah. I say, well, I look, I want to order this sofa. And they're like, well, we've got these seven parts, but these 14 parts are not here. Four mm. of them are going to come tomorrow and seven of them are going to come next week. But three of them, we don't even know where they're going to come. And so you could have kind of a sofa, but not really a sofa. And, <laughs> and you know, so great, right? Like that's a transformed company because the inventory is available to the customer at the point in time. But what would a data culture look like? Well, what if that employee then said, I've got a buyer right here that wants to buy this sofa. And now that's data coming in because I can source demand information and I can record that this person wants to buy this thing. And if I could get that back into the system, then I've now recorded which parts are going to be ordered when based on demand. Mm -hmm. And I can then fulfill that demand based upon the highest order across all of my highest level of orders across all my customers. That if that person who was the clerk who otherwise was just taking an order could think, mm -hmm. oh, every transaction, every interaction is a data point that I could record. That would be a real transformation of a company. And those are the companies that are going to have real success. Yeah, for um, sure. Right. <clears throat> the, 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 being able to collect that kind of, that level of data would be amazing. <clears throat> for, you'd, you'd be looking a little bit more like Amazon at that point. You know, Which is exactly how, you know, I would argue that retailers will have to behave because otherwise, yeah, why ever yeah. come into a store? Because people are going to, the, the website's going to do it all for you. Right, right. That's true. Um, all right. So talk, walk us through, Satyan, um, of, you know, some of the, the great successes you guys have had. What's the development or, or deployment path that they took? You know, what's the, 
you know, uh, either the discovery, you know, did they, did they download a demo and then go through, or was it, um, you know, a pilot, like walk us through the discovery process of some of your, your, your best case studies. And just so that, so that people that are interested in thinking about this can sort of, sort of start planning ahead for, you know, how would I go about deploying this? Sure. We sell software and we also uh, sell cloud-based software as a service. Mm -hmm. And so our customers will typically come to us either by coming to our website most commonly, but they'll also find us at events. They'll find us through the gardeners and the foresters and the IDCs mm -hmm. of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they will also find us through folks like yourselves who are doing the sure. work every single day and say, hey, you've got this problem, you need a tool. Yeah. They'll come to us. They'll typically interact with the sales rep. Maybe that's one meeting. It could be two because there's somebody who qualifies the need and then there's somebody who you know sort of talks about the solution, gather your requirements, and then typically there's a demo. Once that demo is done, somebody says, great, we're ready to move to trial. And they would either use our cloud service directly, which means they don't have to download anything, mm -hmm. or if they want to try it on-prem, which still some customers would like to do, certainly the scaled enterprises, they can download the software, install it on a server, and connect it to some data sources. Um, typically, that entire process will take 30 days, mostly mm -hmm. the download and the interaction part is done mm -hmm. in the first couple of hours, but sure. then connecting to their own data sources, getting their users to test it over time, getting them to sur submit survey data that says, yeah, this actually made my life better uh, mm -hmm. is all pretty critical. And then once they've done that, they typically can move to procurement and buying the software. That's a typical enterprise company. So yep, you know, that yep. would be sort of a fortune to 500 global 2000. And that process now takes roughly four months. You know, sometimes okay. sometimes five, but on average, it's about four months. And then I'd say, obviously, if you you can go down from there. So if you're a smaller customer that can buy faster, we've got customers that have been recommended Alation, went mm -hmm. through a demo, did some hands-on work, and bought it in you know less than a month. And um, clients that that you know do that thirty-day trial is that roughly the window of you know collection for data collection on statistics for SQL queries and things like that. Is that, is that usually the window that you need about is, is roughly 30 days to kind of start collecting that? Or is that like after first week, you kind of have uh, enough of a purview into, into uh, the popularity of certain sources? Yeah, it's generally the case that most analytical databases like your t snowflakes and your Teradatas would mm -hmm. have logging turned on. Uh, because mm -hmm. people are trying to optimize performance. And so we yeah. can take historical queries that were oh, produced okay. even before we ever got there in gotcha. order to be able to load them into the database. So, so you're not actually, uh, are you collecting when, when you, when you start, are you collecting on your own data set or are you, you're actually reading through logs? We're reading through logs. logs. Okay. Reading through okay. Logs. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. So, so you really don't have to have sort of this data collection process. You can go straight and say, okay, here's all my statistics on all of these sources that we've, we've just connected to. You got it. You got wow. it. Wow. That's, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, literally from day, well, whenever it's installed and connected. So where, where's the work? Where, where, where is the work, technical work, as well as business work, business work. I can kind of guess that's, you know, naming stuff and putting details in, but you know, I'd love to have you fill that in. Like what, what is, what is, what's the work involved? Yeah. We generally will say, look, you don't want to start with every source in your company. You want to start mm -hmm. with a couple of major sources and you want to start with a couple of teams. 
And those teams will give you the ability to figure out all of the things that they need to get enabled on those data sources. So which glossary terms do they need and mm -hmm. which sets of data quality do they need to understand and which bits of metadata they need filled in. And so you want to start small and sort of build a cycle of success. And then we generally mm -hmm. will roll out to new teams and every new team will then say, oh, I need these new data sources in order to be successful. And I need this new content to be successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we think about it more in a kind of iterative approach mm -hmm. where it's very people organization first, um, because you can't be valuable to 10,000 people in a company, unless you're valuable yeah. to one person in a company. <laughs> um, Zero to one. <laughs> and yeah. it's really hard to be valuable to 10,000 people when you've got like a legacy of 100,000 data sources. Yeah, yeah. And so you you need to kind of take this evolutionary approach. And so that, that the work then becomes, well, how do you train those first 100 people mm -hmm. to change their workflow? How do you get them to do, think about doing their jobs differently? Now, it may be more efficient, but it's mm -hmm. still change and you're moving yep, people's yep. cheese. And so how do you get them to think, oh, instead of like producing this report that takes me eight hours in the way that I've done for the last seven years, mm -hmm. I can do it in two hours and, but I need to actually learn this new system and maybe they're really comfortable in their job. So how do you get them to engage and think about making that change in their workflow? And that, that, that can be hard because mm -hmm. obviously some people are willing to make changes and others aren't, but that's, that's, I think, a lot of the work. Yeah, notice you said that you you issue out a survey. I think that's interesting. Is the survey also just sort of a hearts and minds thing to get people to say, hey, I should start using this? It's, it's turned into that, but that wasn't the original intent. Okay. You know, when we, when we did it, we <clears throat> wanted to be really authentic to the value proposition that we were making. And you, you did, our, our vision statement is to empower curious, a curious and rational world. Right. And mm -hmm. so how mm -hmm. do you really know that you're making people more curious and rational? I don't know. I mean, that was really hard. Right. But the best mm -hmm. proxy was, well, people told you that yeah. they were being more efficient in working with data. And so we really wanted to make sure that if they were searching for data, they could do the same thing that they would do manually faster inside of elation. That if they were trying mm -hmm. to define a term, they could do the same thing that they were doing manually faster inside of elation. And so our early users and some of our early customers even took stopwatches and would say, hey, Interesting. Do this out, take this task and these five tasks on a test, do them outside of Alation, now go do them inside of Alation. Tell us exactly how long it took to do those two relative paths. And that work um, often you know, kept us honest in terms of building software that was actually really useful. Interesting, interesting. So, um, so I always like to ask, as we're kind of getting close to the end, are there any questions I didn't ask that I really should have asked in terms of like where you're going and, and, uh, you know, about elation? <clears throat> well, um, I'll volunteer one thing. Well, I, I'm so, you know, great to watch you do this cause you're such a pro at it. Uh, but I'm also <laughs> trying to start a podcast. Actually, I am starting a podcast. Oh, and, nice. Cool. Um, it's really about this exact topic, which is how do you drive a data culture? How do you drive engagement and adoption? So it's very, much focused on this notion of how do you build organizational change and the name of the data the podcast is called data radicals um, awesome. where the idea is that there are you know people in the organization who are radicals trying to force cultural change and so we've got some really interesting guests from computer scientists to organizational psychologists or um, organizational experts to psychologists just thinking about how you make changes and how people make decisions. i love it so, you know look for that on uh Apple, um, Apple and Spotify and 
that's one thing that now, I what is it again? Say, say it one more time. So I it's remember called data radicals. Data radicals. Okay. You can find it on um, Apple and Spotify. The other, um, and then I'll be announcing it on my Twitter handle. So you nice. can look at that on SATYX, which is awesome. my Twitter handle. Um, awesome. Beyond that, no, I mean, I think this is a space where I think people who are interested in data, you know, ought to be paying attention to because Absolutely. as we think about all the physical problems of data being easy to supply and, you know, easy to demand because the compute costs are coming down with things like Snowflake and yep. of course, you know, um, things like Redshift and Databricks, like all of that is amazing, but then yep. the problem is going to be, there's so much data out there. Yep. How do I navigate it? How do I understand it? Absolutely. And I think this is where you would get help to do that. I've always felt that it's like a pendulum, right? We've, we've swung from, we, we swing towards uh, scalability and then we always have to go, whoa, man, we're got way more. And then we're back to management scalability and then yeah. management. And we're, we're moving back towards management because we're realizing, yeah, we've got this unlimited scalability and it's a total rat's nest. Um, you know, and so we, we need to go back towards management and, and I'm starting to see that happen. Um, that, that trend is, is, you know, definitely on the, uh, on the priority list of organizations to, we, okay, we've got this thing and we don't even know how to manage it. <laughs> you know, so well, that's, yeah, that's the iteration, really exciting. right? I mean, as you go through this, okay, now we've solved some of these problems. Now we get to look at what are the next opportunities for us to improve how we're using our data. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, this is, uh, it's, it's a constant iteration. Yeah, which is a lot of fun and really cool. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I, you know, honestly, more interesting for for people that care about people. You know, there's all this stuff out there, but you know, we've done so much to bring power of technology to organizations. But now, how do we get not just millions, but tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people to start using the te technology to make people smarter and yep. more thoughtful, and to answer questions and to make them powerful? Because knowledge is ultimately power, and so to me, this is a much more interesting and humanist problem in the context of data and one that, you know, I could spend a really long time on and obviously already have. Well, Satyan, I'm excited for your podcast and I appreciate you uh, uh, jumping on with us. This is a, it's a treat to have you on. Um, and uh, Arcadian Rich, really uh, great having you with us as well. So Satyan, we'll, we'll catch you on your podcast. I'd love to, I'd love to listen to it. And, um, and we appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation and um, really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks later. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for catching Intricity 101. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if you've got some stars to give, give us a solid five, and we'll catch you on the next podcast.